I want to start off by talking about kind of two different types of courage, right? There's the movie courage that we see in movies that, you know, people are jumping out of fiery buildings or running into fiery buildings or, or you know, all these things. Um, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And then there's real-life courage because none of us truly live lives like that. And growing up watching movies, you always, I don't know about you, but as a guy, I kind of always wanted that moment of, of being courageous, of uh, you know, stepping up when I needed to step up or, or whatever. But as you get older, you just realize, oh, life's just kind of normal. <laughs> and those opportunities aren't really around. So the other day, well, it was like a month ago, two months ago, I can't remember. I uh, just got done kind of just exercising and I wanted to go for a walk. And when I, my kids, they, you know, they wanted to go with me and I'm like, ah, but no, because this is a fast walk. This isn't, hey, let's collect sticks and, you know, pick flowers, walk. This is, we're, we're walking because we're sweating, all right? And they're like, we'll go, that's okay, we'll we'll, we'll keep up with you. I'm like, fine, all right, let's go. And so we start walking. And uh, we get about three houses away from my house as we're walking up the street. And all of a sudden, these tiny little dogs just run at us, just barking and wanting to, I mean, basically, they wanted to eat our flesh. And... (laughs) And, uh, and so my kids, especially my son, he, he always says, like, I hate those yapper dogs. Just any small dog he's not a big fan of. And then they're freaking out. And to be honest with you, I've, I've got a fear of dogs, too. Like, it, it started young where I got bit by my grandma's dog, Chato, and I never liked him. Um, but, you know, my grandparents liked him. And then, uh, and then I get older. I'll never forget this. I, I'm sitting, I don't know, it's elementary school, and me and my four friends are sitting on a curb, and I'm, I'm there, down the way, this man, he was walking, his name was Eric, I'll never forget him, because Eric was the guy on the block that you don't, you don't mess around with, everyone knows what Eric does, everyone knows who he is, you know what I mean, and he's walking with his big old Doberman on a chain. Here he comes, he's older, and we're sitting there like, okay, well, what do we do? Do we run? Like, no, no, we're just, he's, it's okay, it's okay, it's be cool, be cool. And he walks up, and he sees us, he goes, hey, how's it going, little guys? I go, hey, Eric. And his dog comes up, and there's my friend Matt, there's my friend Ben, there's my friend Wayne, and then there's me. That dog sniffs every one of my friends, and then just takes a bite out of my arm. Don't know why. Big old Doberman, I freak out and I'm grabbing my arm. He's like, oh man, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm not going to sue you. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to mess with you, Eric. I (laughs) I don't want no problems. Actually, the cool thing was that after that, Eric always liked me. So no one messed with me because I was friends with Eric. Anyways, but, but, but there's something about, and I always tell my kids, and I, I don't know, maybe I created that fear in them. I don't know, but I've always told them, you need to be careful with anything that has a mouth because anything with teeth can and will bite you. I don't care how nice someone says their dog is. There's always that moment where that dog can bite you. And that was another thing. Working here, <laughs> working here, Josh... Pastor Josh had a dog named Jackson that he would bring into the office, and when they're alone, and I would come in, and all of a sudden, I hear this, and I hear this, Jackson, no! And I'm like shutting the door, and I'm like, ugh. So I have a good fear of dogs. But anyway, so my kids now have it, and they're walking, and these dogs, they're yapping, they're wanting to eat our flesh, and I'm like, hey, guys, Luke and Grace, it's Okay. They're more afraid of you than us. 
And so we're walking forward. I said, just stay close to me. We're just going to walk past them. And they're just barking, barking, barking. And then all of a sudden, I hear my daughter, Grace, like really freak out. I'm like, what is wrong? And what she saw and what I didn't see was this big black, I think it was German Shepherd. I don't know. It seemed big. Come around the corner snarling at us. And I'm like, oh, no. Now we're in an issue. Okay, so I have an option. There's like a hedge fence right next to us. I'm like, I could throw Grace <laughs> across the fence. She might get hurt, but she'd be okay. And Luke, you'll just have to fend for yourself. <laughs> but as I'm thinking, as I'm trying to figure this out, all of a sudden I hear, I, I tell my kids, I say, hey, whatever you do, do, uh, this is what you say, right? Do not what? Do not run, because they will chase you. And I'm like, guys, do not. And then my son goes, run, Grace. And they take off. And I'm like, no. And then that big dog all of a sudden locks eyes with them and starts to go. And you know what? I know we have animal lovers here, but the only thing I could do and think of the moment, it was so quick, I kicked the dog. Then I got the dog's attention on me. And then, and, then, and then my kids were able to get away, and then now I'm just walking backwards, and that dog was, they were snarling at me, all the little yappers, and I'm walking backwards. It was traumatic for my kids. And then my poor wife, she's in the house. She doesn't know. They just know we went on a walk, and then she has two little kids screaming, coming in the house, and I'm nowhere to be found. So poor Jenny. But I make it home. I walk backwards very slowly all the way home, and, and then the neighbor... The neighbor uh, called, the, and I wasn't going to call anything, but the neighbor called, and I guess they have, they have issues with this family, because she, she told the, uh, the pet, uh, what are they called? Humane Society. That uh, I guess the dog jumped on my back and was like at my jugular, and I had to like fight it off. And I'm like, no, no nothing like that happened. But, uh, but anyway, so I had to have that moment of courage um, and God has called us all to live a life of courage. It's mentioned over a hundred times throughout the whole Bible, but Jesus, in a couple times, he has said, like, have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. He says, have courage, daughter, your faith has made you well. And he tells a blind man, have courage, get up. Okay, so there's something, that, there's something about courage that God, that Jesus wants us to have, that wants us to know deep down in. And so as we were putting together this series, there's, there's one scripture that kind of came to mind in Ephesians. And it says this, it's in Ephesians 5. And this is kind of like the boss scripture of why we're going to do this whole series. And it starts with this. Ephesians 5.15 says, Be very careful in how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. If there's a reason as to why we need to have courage today, it's know that because the days are evil. Jesus said that in these days that lawlessness will abound, false teachers will be there to deceive, and the love of many will grow cold to each other. Does that not describe the world we're living in today? It could be as a world. It could be as, a, as our country. It could be even just our family dynamics on how we treat each other. The Bible straight up tells you the days are evil, and it would be normal for us to live in fear. It would be normal for us to be scared. I mean, we turn on the news and there is something different every day. Normal should be scared. Normal should be fear. And we do, to an extent. We do kind of live in fear. And try not to admit it, but we're not perfect. I know I do. There are moments that I still worry and panic and freak out. So, like you, we need, like me, sorry, I want us all to go on this journey together for the next six weeks and talk about what it is to have courage. And with that, we're going to look through the book of Ephesians. I really feel like the book of Ephesians is a great place to start on learning how to live with godly courage. So if you have your Bibles, 
open up to, not the book of Ephesians, <laughs> open up to Acts 19 because I want to actually talk about the story behind the story. How did this start? How did we even get? You, you ever wonder, like, when you read the Bible and you get to these letters in the back that you're, I mean, you're basically reading somebody else's mail. You don't know. Some, there's a lot that goes on in these letters that they don't address. You don't know what's going on. But what's cool about Ephesians, it actually talks about in Acts 19 how did these people even come to exist? Why was Paul writing this letter to, uh, to the uh, Ephesians, or the people in Ephesus. If you were an Ephesian, that's what your people in Ephesus. So let's talk about this. Ephe- Ephesus was a city um, right on uh, Asia Minor. It's, uh, it'd be Turkey, where Turkey is today. It's where Ephesus is, um, modern-day Turkey. They were known for kind of a couple things. One was that they had the great temple of Artemis. All right. This was actually considered one of the seventh wonders of the world. It was, you know, that impressive. It's kind of what their city was known for. Uh, maybe some of your Bibles say the Temple of Diana, Artemis. It's the same, same deity that they were worshiping, and she was considered to be the goddess of fertility. Uh, there's, what was it? The story goes that there was like a, a meteorite that fell. Uh, to earth. They found it. They kind of carved it in such a way, and that was like the main idol of the goddess of Artemis, and they worshiped that, and again, she was, she was the god of fertility. Basically, she was the god of all sex and sexuality, and, and, and so they had this temple to her. Actually, there's a picture of her online. Um, I thought about showing it, but it would get banned. Um, but uh, and then the other thing that we would we, they had was they had this theater, this giant theater that was carved in the side of a mountain that held at least twenty four thousand people that would sit and be entertained, not just by plays, but by like thoughts and like you know they would get together and talk about philosophy and and all these things. Twenty four thousand theater carved inside of a hill. It was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire when Paul wrote this. It was truly the gateway into Asia for Rome. Okay, for Rome, as they moved forward, this was like one of the last major cities before they went into Asia. And people, if you can imagine what the the countryside, because not only was it the gateway into Asia, but it was also the gateway into the Roman Empire. And for those people, those travelers, those living in the country in Asia and hearing about stories about how the Romans live and what the Romans do, and as you're walking and as you're moving towards the city and you cross, cross, uh, sorry, walk over that hill and you see the lights, you see the temple, you see the theater, you see the infrastructure, you see the roads. It is something unlike no one has ever seen before. And that is how the Romans got their hooks into you. Because when you went into Ephesus and you saw that we have this temple we have this theater. We have the, 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 the thought leaders of today that just sit in the corner. And when we talk about philosophy, look how good it is to be under Roman rule. You need this. And if it wasn't that, if it's Ephesus is the gateway into the Roman Empire, that next port city where you could go from Ephesus to really get is Corinth. And Corinth that was like Vegas 10 times. That was, you know, if people would know like what kind of moral person you were, they'd be like, oh, well, then you must be a Corinthian, you know? So if you liked Ephesus, well, you're really going to like Corinth. <laughs> it was a way that Roman indoctrin- indoctrinated you into their culture. Ephesus, if, you know, Corinth was bad with, with, with its sex and sexuality, where anything goes, Ephesus, even though they had the goddess of fertility that they worshipped, it was actually known for its dark arts. This is where, like, sorcery and, you know, um, <clears throat> yeah, just dark, demonic things happened. Uh, mystics, all these types of things happened there. It was known for its dark magic, uh, it, this is a place where you could go and, uh, 
and, and get spells, like, you know, legit spells from people. Um, even Shakespeare, he had a quote about Ephesus in one of his plays. He says, it was a place of dark working or sorcerers that go to change the mind of men who walk the streets. Okay, it had a reputation. It was a place of idol worship. It was a place where, again, you came to be amazed for the weekend, but you could buy little trinkets of Artemis to take home and to worship in your privacy of your own home. If you were rich, it would be a silver one. If you were poor, it would be one out of clay or terracotta. It'd be one of those things. And you would have that, take it to your home, show your family, kind of like your little keepsake. You know, my grandma, they used to travel all over the United States. I'd always get a bunch of magnets. Same thing. Well, not the same thing, but you know what I mean. It's your keepsake. Not only that, but if you had an ailment or something, like I said, they had legit spells where you could go to, I guess, a sorcerer, uh, a mystic, and they would write this down on papyrus, and you would take it, and you would place it on your skin, and you would walk around with it. You would take it and put it under your tent, and you would sleep with it. If you had a vendetta against somebody, you could get a spell against somebody else, and you can hide it in their belongings. Again, this is a culture that heavily... Uh, you know, emphasize like the spiritual trinkets and spiritual things. There'll be more on that later. So this is where Paul came into the city of Ephesus in 19. That's the city. This is where he's going. And again, we're just going to have to highlight a little bit of this. When he first enters into the city, he finds his dis- these disciples. These are just people that are followers. And he says, hey, great. There's people here. There's 12 men. And he says, okay, I need to make sure. You say you're a disciple of Jesus. Yes. Okay. How were you baptized? Like, oh, we were baptized by water, by John. Okay, great. Were you baptized by the Holy Spirit? And these 12 men looked back at Paul and said, wait, what's the Holy Spirit? Said, wait, you haven't been baptized by the Holy Spirit? He goes, no, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit? Okay. So Paul puts his hands on them and he prays and they are immediately baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay, they got to know who the Holy Spirit is firsthand in that moment. And there's 12 of them. So you can already tell this is kind of the city in which what he was dealing with. All right, now we're going to get into Acts 19, start at 9. Sorry. Then after that, for three months, he goes into the synagogues and he's preaching, right? But for some of them, the people the leaders, synagogue leaders, they became um, obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took his disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. These leaders publicly maligned the way. All right, so here's something. After Jesus died and there was, you know, stories being passed on from village to village, to be honest, it was like the wild, wild west. People were just doing whatever they wanted to do. They, wanted, they, they liked this idea of Jesus, but they really didn't know a lot, so they kind of make up their own things to add to it. And so when, when, when Paul had to make sure, which Jesus are you talking about? He had to make sure that it was the right one. And part of that, the, the negative side of it were all the Jewish leaders that were tired about hearing about the way. They were tired about hearing about this Jesus. They were t- that's, so basically before the, the term Christian, that's what they referred to as the way. It was like this new way of doing it. And they kicked Paul out. And Paul said, fine, I'm going to go to the lecture hall of Tyrannus and speak there. And he did that for two years in the province of Asia, heard, and because of that, they heard the word of the Lord. Listen, there is so much to this story. Paul spent most of his time here preaching, not in a temple, but in an educational environment. And for two years, he sat there. It is his most successful moment, okay? And it's also his grand finale because after this, he starts to head to Jerusalem and, I'm sorry, Rome. 
It's one of those. And it ends. It ends. He ends there. He dies. But this is his last grand finale. And he, in this time, reached about 2 million people in the province of Asia because, like I said, it's the gateway into Asia. And even though it's Rome's wanting people to come in, Paul is sending people out. And because of this time, 2 million people were able to hear the word of the Lord and get to know Jesus. So continuing on, verse 11. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. All right, this is bizarre. And I don't know, uh, this is crazy. All right, all I can tell you right now is this. It starts with God did extraordinary miracles. Okay, this, the Bible's telling us right here, this isn't normal. Okay, this isn't telling you how to do miracles. He's just saying this is how this miracle was done in this place and time. Okay, I don't know. I don't know how this came to be. I don't know, but I like to imagine that maybe it was Paul that the, the, the need was so great that people, instead of buying these spells, all of a sudden said, look, there's something else going on here. And they're going to Paul and there's a line, a three-day line to meet Paul. And as Paul is sitting there and praying, he's hearing stories. Hey, look, there, there, there's a lady up on the hill. She could really use some healing. And he says, I, I can't leave. I can't go anywhere. You see this line? And so Paul just doesn't know what to do, gets the thing, take this to them. And those people were healed. And again, it's extraordinary. It's not how things are normally done. But in a culture that believes in spells and trinkets and superstition, God took that very thing and made believers out of it. Sometimes God does meet us in our superstition. Doesn't want us to stay there. But God knows us. He knows how we feel. He knows how we think. If I was to ask all of us, how did we come to Christ? How did we, like, not, not just like, you know, one day like at, a, like at a Greg Laurie thing where he's like, oh, yeah, I'm walking on the field. But no, how did we really have that moment of, okay, Jesus, I'm all in. I bet all our stories are different because God individually has chosen us differently. All right, continuing on. Then it said that some, in verse 13, it said that some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. The seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief, chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And the men who had the evil spirits jumped on them and overpowered them all. And he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. This, this, this is kind of important. <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like over, over. So, look, it got to the point where there was so much success going on that God was moving in such an incredible way that these people, these chief priests that were basically exorcists that lived, um, or yeah, uh, that lived in this town, that knew that it was a dark town and would do these ceremonial things, of course, for money, and to send them on their way. And when they saw that, that what Paul was doing was more effective, well, that's a new way to make a dollar, so let's do it. And so they did it. They, they did it. And I love how it says, They would say in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, whom Paul preaches, not who they preach, whom Paul preaches. That's like, you know, saying in the name of the Jesus that my parents believe in or the name of the Jesus that my spouse believes in. They're saying there's no... There is no relationship here. They were doing it for all the wrong reasons. And the Jewish priest, the seven sons, this priest who had seven sons, 
tried to come in. It's such a cool name, the Seven Sons of Skiva. <laughs> it didn't work out for them. They got beat so mad their clothes fell off. And I love that. And I think this is a point of where this cur- our courage needs to happen. We need to have the God that we believe in, that we preach about, walk with us. I, I, again, going back, uh, you know, the Bible study that we do on Thursday nights is blurry. And, and I know people think we just sit around and talk about UFOs and Bigfoots and demons and all that kind of stuff. That's not what we talk about. And anyone who goes to that could tell you that that's not what it's about. It's a full-on Bible study. And it is, it is very thought-provoking. And I'm sorry, Candace, but I'm going to mention you. She, she said something at the, at the last one that was really good. And it was all about, like, we cannot, well, she said she, but I agree. We cannot be living in a world where we, we, we cannot be living in a world where it's just God. We need God with us. It needs to be, you know, the, I'm sorry, I, I'm butchering what you said. But, <laughs> but it's the idea of just that, like, like, we can't be having God on the outside anymore. Okay, we need God with us. Okay, and the courage thing is to say, God, come with us. But it's not always easy. All right. So, the cool thing is that people, uh, in verse 8, that many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had, uh, number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together, burned them publicly, and when they calculated the value of all these expensive things that they got rid of, the total came out to 50,000 drachnas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread wildly with great power. This was success. Not only were people done with their darkness, not, not, not only were people done with this witchcraft, but it changed the economy. It affected the economy because even though this was very successful, it wasn't perfect. And what happens later was that there's this guy, Demetrius, who's sitting down and started, I don't know how long it took, but he started to notice, hey, I'm not selling as many silver trinkets anymore. What gives? Well, because people stopped wanting them. People stopped. Again, the economy was affected. And because of that, he started a riot. He gathered all these people to come into that mighty theater and, and said, look, this is what's happening. Uh, our, our, our goddess is being defamed. Uh, we're all losing money. Um, people are going to stop coming to um, our city. Um, we're all losing money. And just all these things and, and got people in an uproar. Like, you're right. You're right. It got crazy. And, and the disciples, uh, two of the disciples that Paul had, they were taken into the thing, and, uh, to the, uh, the, the theater. And they started to chant for two hours great is artemis of the ephesians can you imagine being in a place where you've had all this victory and all this stuff to all of a sudden hear a theater screaming and i want to i want you know it sounds like oh great is artemis of the ephesians it's demonic okay they were making a point they were trying to outvoice God and all that he has done. Paul, he tries to go, but his disciples say, do not go into that theater. Even city officials are like, Paul, don't go into that theater. You're going to be in trouble. And eventually what is so cool is because what Paul had did into that city, it affected the officials in the, in the city. The city clerk goes into the, the, to the theater, says, hey, shut this down. He has done, he has not blasphemed You haven't blasphemed the goddess of Diana. He hasn't done nothing to the city. Shut this down, or we're going to label this like a full-on uprising. He had favor with the city officials to go in and do that. Isn't that amazing? And that wrapped up his time in Ephesians. No one directly worships Artemis today. Millions worship Jesus. Idols and false gods all have an expiration date. But not Jesus. 
So, what was Paul's courage, courageous act that he did in this city of Ephesus? Look what he did. So much courage, right? But what, he, what did he truly do? I'll tell you what he didn't do. He didn't go into the city with a campaign to shut the temple down. He didn't go into the theater and try to create a, the first megachurch. No, he just wanted people to know Jesus. He just wanted people to know Jesus. It's like the guys from the beginning. Hey, have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit? Well, let me tell you. And the people just stopped. Because of that, they just stopped worshiping Artemis. It just naturally ended. Again, Paul spent a total of three years in Ephesians. He labored with the people, not as an evangelist or a missionary, but as a pastor. He loved and wept with this community. He loved them greatly. And he did all this. He did all this because he always knew the God that walked with him. And in chapter 1 in Ephesians, and we're going to kind of go through this kind of quickly, so forgive me. In chapter 1 in Ephesians, this is the first thing he wants us to remember. That God that walks with us, who is he? So in Ephesians now 1, and he writes this letter. And start, we'll start with verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, who blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in the sight and love. Every spiritual blessing. Basically, he wants us, basically we have, he's going to give us the life that we need to live. All right? This means that every spiritual blessing we receive is in Christ. Okay? Not from anywhere else. It's in Christ. And it also means that God wants to give us every single one available to us. If you don't walk the streets of Claremont, Rancho, Ontario, wherever you live, knowing that the God of the universe wants to bless you with every spiritual blessing, you need to change your mindset. Okay? Because he wants to give that to us. There is greatness that God wants to give all of us, but we have to have the courage to live the life that backs it up. And that's where we kind of get the wrong. I love how Spurgeon says this. He says that we are not sitting here and groaning and crying and fretting and worrying and questioning our own salvation. He has blessed us, and therefore we will bless him. If you think little of what God has done for you, well, then you will do very little for him. But if you have great notion of his great mercy to you, then you will greatly be grateful for your gracious God. Now, I'm not saying this is what you need to do to, be, to look grateful. You, you know what that means in your heart. It's going to be different for all of us. But Paul's reminding us that you have to think about the God that walks with you. Continuing on, uh, there's just things that, God, that Paul says, I want to remind you people in Ephesus, I want to remind you of this, you're adopted. Okay? Again, this is, this is a term used in this time that meant a lot to these people. Adoption by Roman standards was not the same by our standards. By, that, by Roman standards, you were legally a new person. You were legally a new person. That means even if you had debt with a bank, if I was adopted by somebody else, that debt is gone because that person is dead. That person's gone. Okay? So you were legally a new person. And not only that, but the word adoption, it kind of translates is, is into um, that you're destined for a higher dignity. Okay? Paul says, don't forget, you're also redeemed. For our freedom was purchased, and it didn't just happen you know, we just weren't all of a sudden, God says, yeah, you're free. You're done. You're good. It just didn't happen. See, the thing is, we have to remember that Jesus lived the perfect life, but it wasn't his perfect life that redeemed us. It was the fact that he died. It was his blood that redeemed us. It was the fact that the perfect man chose to go to the cross for us to die as a sinner. Okay? We are redeemed. His sacrifice did his, <clears throat> and he did this with wisdom and understanding. I like how it says that. With all wisdom and understanding, he did that. 
Again, it's going back to the age-old question. Why didn't the minute Adam and Eve blew it, why didn't God just start over? I would have, right? Because with all wisdom and understanding, he knew who you would be. He couldn't start over because he wouldn't have us. And he loved us from the beginning. The other thing is that he made known the mystery. Half of this book, no, sorry, more than half, all the Old Testament, from the beginning, there was talk of a Messiah. There was talk about how to get right with God, but no one truly knew. But now he has made known the mystery. Okay? We share through that revealed mystery, which is Jesus. And we don't ever have to second guess on how to get right with God. We know how to do it. Amen? That's a big deal. Like, really think about that. We don't ever have to second guess how to get right with God. We know how to. But yet the enemy likes to convince us otherwise. And the other thing is that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It says that his presence in our lives acts as a seal of ownership. When you're functioning in the Spirit, when you know that you are doing things way beyond your own abilities, that you are doing things that the Holy Spirit is with you, that's that seal of ownership. That's when you know God has me. Okay, and again, that's another thing that the enemy likes to convince you. No, that was so long ago. You've messed up a lot since then. No, you've been sealed. God has you. And Paul goes on to tell them that, and then he says he's been praying for them. And again, go back to the, the beginning of this story. Think about how he left them. Think about the darkness and it's not like he has the internet or you could text him. Right. <laughs> he has to hear eventually, oh, man, I hope that church is still going on. Man, I hope things didn't turn, go for the worse. Oh, man, I hope it's going on. And so when Paul hears that and you read this, and it talks about how, how it says that, like, ever since I heard about your, your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. He's, he, he didn't know the outcome when he left. But he knows now, and he's sending these letters, and then it gets to, uh, we're going to skip down to 18, and I love this, this verse. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. Again, eyes of your heart. He is basically saying you need both. You can't be a Christian that is all heart. You need eyes. And you can't be a Christian that is all eyes. You need heart. You need both. Okay? A Christian that has all eyes will miss out on how truly to minister to people because you're in danger of being a Pharisee. A Christian that is all heart and has no eyes will miss out on how to truly minister to people because you're in danger of being led astray to whatever feels right in the moment. God wants us both, wants both combined in us. And then it talks about how we are God's inheritance. We are God's inheritance, right? This is what he inherited. He wanted that. He has made riches out of poor men and women. All right, 19. Continuing on. And his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exercised when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all the rule and the authority and power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body and fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Again, he goes off. You're adopted. You're sealed. You need both. This is what you need. You need to see the God that walks with you. Have your eyes open. Have the heart open. Know that the God that walks with you has resurrection power. Resurrection power. Not just, <clears throat> it's not just about like, hey, you know, oh yeah, he raised Jesus from the dead, which, yeah, it's big. It, it, that's a big deal. 
But practically, he's like, look, your resurrection power, this is the power that you have. It's, it's the drunkard that can stop living in drunkenness. It's the addict that can be resurrected out of addiction. It's the, the, the liar that can be resurrected into character. Think about all your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Everything that you have, you can be resurrected out of it. That is the resurrected power that we all have. And he's reminding you that the God that walks next to you has it. So have courage to see him. Because the days are evil. And we need to know that God walks with us. And we need to have the courage to know that God walks with us because I know it seems easy. I know it seems easy to say, like, oh, does God walk with you? Yeah, he, he walks with me. That's easy. But is it God? So there's probably four different types of people here today. There's the person maybe sitting here today that doesn't know or didn't know that God walks next to them. And you want to make that choice. You want to say, okay, I want to recognize the God that, that walks next to me. And that is the most courageous, one of the first steps and one of the most courageous things you can do. Okay? The second and the third and the fourth are all people that say, yeah, God walks next to me. But again, do you have the courage to see the real God? Because some of us, we walk with the genie God. We walk with the God that when we need him is when we come to him. We walk with the God that like, okay, I'm, I'm in crisis mode now. God, God help me with this. I, I really need this. Man, I, I tell you, that was one of the most heartbreaking things as a youth pastor. To, be, to have the parents come bring their kid. Like, hey, we just caught my kid doing this or my kid did this in school. He's here in youth group now. Fix it. I look at the kid. Do you want to be here? No? Yeah, I didn't think so. Things get a little better for a while, and then they're gone. And then something happens here. Fix my kid. Nothing I can do about that. It's the genie God. It's crap, my life's... Um, my kids aren't doing things right. I need your help. Crap. My spouse is about to leave me. Crap. I need your help. I've lost all our money. Crap. I need, our, I need your help. The other one is the consultant God. Hey, God, I need you to help me with this. Tell me what to do. Okay. 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 I hear that, but maybe if I do it a different way. Maybe if I do things a little bit different. Like, okay, like I, like, I like what you say all about this stuff, but, but I think this way, it kind of fits me a bit better and, you know, my life, so I'm going to do it this way. But, but thanks for your advice, God. That's not God. Take some advice, just the advice that fits you, and then you want to live your life. No, and, and I'll be the first to admit that I am guilty of having this God walk next to me both of them, consultant and genie, in the times of my life. I think all of us have. No, when I say that we need courage to have God walk next to us, is saying that we need courage to have Lord God next to us, where it's I serve him, not that he serves me. That's where I say we need courage, because it's not easy to give up things. It's not easy to change maybe our thought process. It's not easy to maybe <clears throat> might get a little uncomfortable during holiday time with the family. I don't know. That's different for everybody. But God's Lord. Not consultant, not genie. He, he's Lord. So if I can have the band and come on up. And that's when I say we need to have courage because, again, not easy. I'm going to read this again, Ephesians 5. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We need to know the God that walks 
with us. The days are evil. And I want to tell you something. It's okay to be scared. It is okay. Being scared is a natural reaction. Have you guys ever been scared before? Jenny, have, you, have I ever scared you before? Just kind of like, oh, hey. <laughs> Pastor Josh has been scared by my son a couple times right around the corner. It's a natural reaction to jump, right? To be scared, to have that moment. But what's not natural and what God wants us to fight is to live in fear. Don't live in fear. That is the choice. Man, it was such a proud moment. It was a terrifying moment after I told my kids, don't run. They took off. But it was very proud because what happened was is that my son made sure that his sister got in the house first. He didn't just outrun his sister. He, he took her to safety. And I saw that. And, I, and I, later that night in bed, I said, hey, hey, son, what, what you know, weren't, weren't you scared? He goes, yeah, I was scared. He goes, okay. He goes, but what made you, like, you not run in the house? Well, why did you want to protect your sister? And he says, well, you always tell me, Dad, got, our job is to protect the girls. I'm like, you're right. He, but then he said, but... He says, but I knew you could fight the dog. (laughs) I'm like, yeah. He still had the courage. My son was scared, but he still had the courage to do what he needed to do. Being scared will happen. But choose courage and don't live in fear because, like I said, that Lord God that God with resurrection power, that God that has adopted us, that has sealed us, the God that loves you before you loved him, the God that can fight any giant dog, any evilness in your life, walks with you. So be scared, okay, but don't live in fear. Amen? All right, let's get our, let's do our communion. And let's commune with the God that I just described. This is his body. His body, like I said, that he willingly gave up so that we can have that resurrection power, so that we can have that victory and not only in physical healings, but in life and financially, all those things, all these breakthroughs that we can have. He gave up his body so we can have these miracles. So, if you've experienced a miracle, if you've experienced a healing, take this now in remembering him that who, who gave that to you. Thank you, Lord. And there's the wine that represents the blood the blood that redeemed us, the blood that bought us, the the blood that sealed us with God. Knowing that we don't ever have to second guess how to get right with him, again, it's a blessing. It's a blessing we need to walk with that blessing. So know, so take this now, remembering that we know how to get right with him because he bought us and he gave his blood up willingly. All right. Father, we thank you. We ask the Lord that you go before us. Lord, not only do you go before us, but remind us daily that you walk with us. In your name, amen.
right. <clears throat> What's really cool, I can have the ushers to come back up. We're going to take a special offering for nativity. But one thing I want to just kind of tell you what's cool about the book of Ephesians is that there's a lot of manuscripts of this that it, it starts with, sorry, it starts with to God's holy people in Ephesus. But there are a lot of manuscripts that leave out Ephesus because this was meant to be a circular uh, letter. So think about like to God's holy people in Claremont, in Ontario, in Rancho, or your street, or your house, or your school. Okay? To encourage you to what Paul did in Ephesus. And again, we're taking, we're, we're doing nativity. We're doing it the way Paul did it. Okay? We're not protesting. We're not like doing things in this city. We just want to tell people about Jesus. And that's what the nativity does. Okay? We just want to tell people about Jesus. You know, in the script that we wrote, it's, it's divinely, it's that story that is relatable to, to not just people back then, but how people live today. And so, so if you have it in your heart and you want to partner with us in this and, and join us in just telling people about Jesus, then consider giving in, in this next, uh, for, the, for the nativity. So, all right, let's pass it along. I'm going to send you off in a blessing, Lord. May the God in heaven bless you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And let all of you know as you walk this week, be it in your homes, be it in your jobs, be it in your school, be it in the doctor's office, be it in any situation, know that God walks next to you and he's the one that's going to fight the big dog. Amen? Amen. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Yeah.